Welcome to the Retail Media Moguls podcast brought to you by Platform 195. We share trends and strategies across retail media to help you accelerate your brand growth. I'm your host, Stuart Adamson. Welcome to the Retail Media Moguls podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Adamson, founder and CEO of Platform 195. Today, we're joined by Tom Langley, a dynamic business leader with an illustrious career spanning well over a decade in digital marketing, e-commerce, and most notably, retail media. Tom is the head of retail media at the John Lewis Partnership in a role across the partnership brands with a focus on evolving and growing the retail media services for the benefit of customers, advertisers, and the partnership. Prior to joining the partnership, Tom spent 15 years at Dunhumby, no less, working with Tesco and other retailers around the world to design and build their retail media businesses. Beyond strategy, Tom has been a beacon in leveraging data science to understand and enhance the shopper experience. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to have the conversation. I was actually racking my brains of when we first kind of came into each other. I think it was around 2015 uh, yeah. Google conference and you were looking after Thomas Cook and I was working uh, on Tesco okay. and yeah, yeah, I think we've all kind of seen the rise of the conversation around retail media, but actually for the, those of us in the know, know it's kind of always existed in and around retail since retail began, really. And then obviously we sort of met a couple of years ago, I think when you were sort of starting at the John Lewis. Tell us a bit about that journey at John Lewis and how that's going and how that's gone so far. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, been a great journey for me at John Lewis having worked, you know, with Tesco, Kroger, kind of big grocery retailers around the world. And the bits I've had to get my head around with the partnership have been the partly in grocery actually waitress is very different to a lot of the grocers that we'd worked with because it, it the premium nature it's a very different position in the market which means you need to consider what retail media should mean at waitrose versus other retailers and and actually you know if you think about i still do it when i walk around a waitress and i think well you know what's my perception and my perception is that you know the products and the range and the curated kind of yeah. categories that have been created by the buyers are premium they've been sourced in a way that's both kind of ethical but also they're great products and brands for me and retail media needs to support and enhance that and so that's kind of a really interesting position which is less so about reach and driving price messages but much more around elevating brand messages and elevating brand positions um, within the waitress brand and using our brand framing and collaborative working content so so that's really interesting on grocery and then you know it Anyone who's kind of observed the high street over the kind of last 10, 20 years has seen the department store challenges. And, and it, so that's really interesting. And John Lewis is kind of probably the last remaining, you know, department store in the UK that's still trading. And we're very much an omni-channel, you know, department store. It's not kind of, we have 34 or so stores, but really, you know, getting close to 70% of our sales are now online. So I think partly my journey has been to just observe the organization and what is the partnership and, and then what's the right retail media offering um, for the partnership and you know i think classically where retail media has existed in the partnership for 10 or so years and it's been you know had a team within the commercial department you know selling space you know selling space around the stores we've had good magazines we've had you know banners on the website but it say that it's had zero investment and support from the senior teams i think that's a common challenge in most organizations where some very kind of uh, entrepreneurial people within the commercial department have created some propositions but they haven't had that support from data technology exec level support to give it sustainable investment so that you can truly grow and you know i think that's been the challenges problem one is to articulate what is retail media to the organization 
And then kind of challenge two is then how do we then invest into retail media in the right way? You know, retail media in, in some guys is four macro channels. You've got store channels, you've got CRM and loyalty channels, you've got on-site channels, and then you've got off-site. You can't evolve all of those in one go in one year. You, know, you need to go on a bit of a journey across a probably three to five year period and invest yeah. into. And it really, I guess the journey has been to articulate what do we do in what order, um, in a, what we believe is you know, potential to double what we make in retail media, but also to go on a great journey with brands to help them grow their brands through, you know, working with us, working with, you know, our retail media offering and our data and insights offerings. And are you getting that support now? Is that coming from the senior team? You know, I think what one thing that's made easy for people like me in my role is that actually the whole industry is talking about retail media so what the challenge is not anymore to make them pay attention to to think about retail media because they you know all of the management consultants are saying to them you should think about this and we can help you structure your thinking so i think that's made it a little bit easier for me in terms of you know the knowledge of this being a big opportunity to focus on and then i think you know, the challenge in that is actually to say, actually, we do know what we're talking about in this space and we have got a strategy and a plan and we've got the right people now internally to build out that plan. Although, you know, you want to work with the right external partners continuously in retail media who have worked in retail media for the last 10, 15 years. I think the challenge is a lot of the upstart kind of newcomers in retail media are very digitally focused and they don't necessarily have the history of understanding, you know, all the physical media. How do you plan and book across the whole estate? So really, I guess it's been easy to highlight the opportunity to the exec team. And then I think it's a bit more of a journey to say, well, how do we now organize for success? You know, retail media touches every part of a retailer. So the commercial team have the overall relationships with the suppliers, the customer team, the look and feel of the, you know, the brand. You've got the stores team in terms of how things show up in store in the physical space and health and safety. You've got data and insights and technology and to great retail media business you need to create collaboration across all of those parts of the business really absolutely yes and win hearts and minds because there's obviously the the resistors how is that resistance thing are there people who are saying well we shouldn't selling advertising space we should be doing more absolutely and you know to your point and you have seen it as well but you know in all organizations i think and actually just people in general advertising can be a bit of a dirty word you know and i think people automatically think of advertising they've seen that they don't like that disrupts their digital journey they don't automatically think about you know some of the great advertising they've seen and i think what we've had to do is educate people that retail media is a bit different you know typically on waitrose we're not selling space to people that are not suppliers so it's really about how do you enhance the online journey you know e-commerce is hard for retailers you go from running stores for years to suddenly you've got tens of thousands of products that you've got to somehow organizing the right way for customers on a very small screen you know if you think about mobile even even on web so you know i think yeah exactly and retail media becomes the way to merchandise you know your kind of online journey and sponsored products and sponsored search are really your kind of modern merchandising tools really if you want to be on the screen you kind of need to use these mechanics to be you know when customers are searching particularly in grocery where customers don't typically search for brands they typically search for needs you know, mm-hmm. I'm searching for coffee rather than searching for a brand of coffee. And so, yeah. you know, and therefore, how do you get yourself into those listings? And I think it's that kind of modern challenge and understanding that retail media is not about creating bits of content that are not coherent with the journey. It's about actually enhancing the journey with, you know, bringing brands to life, bringing our brand with supplier brands to life in that customer journey in the right way. 
yeah definitely give us a quick overview of what are the actual products that you, that you're selling now either across waitraser and john lewis yeah it's good it's a little bit different by brand actually so i'd say in waitrose we evolved our store you know we've got store offerings where you can bring your life to you know and it's still a lot of store media ends up being cardboard in and around the aisles that's typically most grocery retailers around the world but we've also yeah. been working with jc deco for the last few years where we've got the digital screens just outside a lot of our stores um which is great because it starts to kind of help enhance what types of content and what sorts of campaigns you can bring to life are they for your sole use or a, a JC Deco selling it. Yeah, so they're on our land. That's right. So no, but we work in partnership with JC Deco. We'll sell retail digital screen networks. So mm-hmm. you know you've got um, different digital screen providers in the UK. Yeah. JC Deco work with us and work with Tesco, and they can go to market where they're already working with agencies. And I think this is part of the retail media journey. As a retailer, is you don't necessarily want to sell everything yourself from day one. Like you might not have the expertise or the network. So. Yeah. Digital signage and six sheets were a great example of that, where companies like JC Deco already had kind of built, you know, relationships with the agencies for tens of years. And so actually utilizing that and working with them to say, well, how do we now create this as an offering within your broader piece, as well as then training our team to sell that as part of a multi-channel connected campaign. So we have kind of two routes to market on things like digital signage. And do you get a priority over that space? It's on your land. How does that commercial so we, piece work? We have a kind of scheduling tool that we work with them on. What we have is an agreement to use a certain percentage of the space just for our own brand. So yeah. for the Waitrose brand or the John Lewis brand. And then we yeah. have a certain percentage which can be sold. And then we don't, we've never ran into any problems actually in terms of what we've sold. There's always enough kind of inventory available. You can kind of, well, so far we haven't had that problem. That'd be a nice problem to have. <laughs> High quality problem. Overselling. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that in and around the store, you know, all the way through to sampling, which is really important in food because you know, if you spend a load of time creating a brilliant food product, what's the best way to get customers to love your product is actually to put it in your mouth and try it. And so things like sampling, which is an expensive proposition to run, but a really important part of our proposition portfolio. And yeah. we have magazines as well. So, you know, Tesco Tesco have a magazine in the UK and, and Waitrose do Waitrose Food. We have 2.6 million readership on a monthly magazine. You know, still really important to customers. Customers still pick it up, read it. And, you know, people think that print is kind of dying off, but actually... You know, customers are still for these types of food um, content. Yes. Are still enjoying kind of looking, flicking through, picking up recipes and ideas from from a, people like Waitrose. So that's the kind of store offering. And then we have CRM and loyalty, which is through our email programs, our direct mail, and on our coupon programs within loyalty offerings for suppliers to either do you know solus emails through to then where we're doing loyalty offers to customers. How the suppliers then invest into that and guess that classic piece of like within a loyalty program if you're delivering personalized offers part of those are going to be supply fund and it's a good way for suppliers to be really like targeted with some of their their um, mechanics i was to say is the waitrose club card data playing into that yeah absolutely so we've got my waitrose which has got about three million customers in the uk and yeah absolutely so the key differentiator in loyalty mechanics is that you can be very targeted on from past historical purchase behavior as well as then the measurement. I think coupons have always been, I mean, I grew up doing coupons with Dunhumby for Kroger and Tesco, and it, it's a great playground if you sort of love analytics, data, and measurement, because everything's so measurable, you can do a holdout yeah. control and be very precise in who you're targeting. So it, it's a great playground. It's still, you know, a really important mechanic today. It's just that 
it's evolved from being bits of paper that are sent in the post to typically being in a digital wallet. So for Waitrose, there's a digital wallet. You go and say, yeah, I like that coupon, add it, adds it to your, you know, to your card. So, you know, the concept um, is the same. It's moved on a lot from a technology point of view. And then both on site, you know, both our websites, we have, you know, quite extensive banner ad offerings across the site, different offerings by page, you know, grocery is, you know, I, I think one of my learnings on non-grocery is what parts of the journey are most important. So grocery, you've, you've still got a lot of people adding to basket from their favorites. So because in grocery, you're buying a lot of the same products week on week out, you know, those staples that you're adding in. But over time, people are adding more and more to search as people become more familiar with search and they're searching throughout their lives, you know, in terms of the younger generation are just so used to using search to navigate everything yeah. online. You know, I think so. I think that's interesting. And then John Lewis is a bit different because actually it's a much higher consideration purchase. Like, you know, you work in travel, right? It's, it's not just adding a, a loaf of bread to your basket or a pack of coffee. You're potentially yeah. considering buying a, you know, a TV for a thousand pounds or a sofa for even more. Or, you know, so a lot more basket ads come from the product pages. And so you yes. have to spend more time curating brilliant product pages versus kind of listing pages, which is grocery. So that's been interesting in terms of, and then we do a little bit, I would say not loads off site. So where we can use our audiences to help brands target their audiences outside of our ecosystem, whether that's Google, Meta. And you know, it, it's a thing that I'm always a little bit hesitant on because it can suck a lot of time to design the right way to do off site. And how do you create partnerships with all the different providers? And how do you prove an ROI? You know, if you're using Google's prediction of this is a great customer for your brand, versus also using our enhanced behavioral data. We mm -hmm. have to go on that journey to prove the improvement in your efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing investment. And I think we've still got a little way to go in the UK on that versus America, where it's, you know, trade audiences are traded much more freely over there. I think we were probably ahead of the curve on retail media when it came to the original kind of on-site and store media. But actually, I think they, you know, they're leading the way in terms of how you use your audiences outside of your ecosystem, really, partly because of how you're allowed to use data and data state. restriction. Yeah. No, I was going to say that's kind of the broad kind of estate. And what we're doing is for each of those is how do we innovate against each of those channels in the right way based on how customers are evolving, how they interact with us, how technology is evolving, and then in what can we do in what order, really? So. Yeah, exactly. I think the great thing about it is it, it funds a lot of that innovation. Are you seeing that? freedom a bit where you can actually say well you know we've got this amount of money coming in but we need to invest back into product or is cash a challenge because obviously i mean i've been there you know we know john lewis has its challenges in that area are you getting the freedom to sort of experiment a bit a little bit of both the reality of being a, a traditional retailer where profits are a challenge you know we are a partnership so we don't have shareholders and we don't you know we're not owned by kind of any bc backing so you, you don't have that potential to write a five-year plan with investment in the same way you do. We do it quite a bit, but it's not quite the same as kind of having that conversation with a, with someone who's backing you to really invest and grow your brand. So I would say that, you know, the partnership in itself, which is, you know, for people who don't know, it's a co-ownership model. So there's 80,000 partners in the UK who all co-own the brand. And, you know, it's created on this ethos of bringing the best of socialism and capitalism together to create a brilliant organization that has sustainable growth and we can reinvest into ourselves, invest into partners and invest into creating a happier world as we see kind of at the moment, we're investing a lot into people who grew up in care. So I think there's a lot of great pieces that the partnership brings, but what we've had to go on a journey with is, you know, how do we get investment into this? And I think we've probably got that classic piece, which is we've got to deliver the in-year trade and number 
whilst also being given you know a fair bit of investment money as well to bring in new pieces of technology what we just have to do is make sure we don't create anything that's not sustainable i think my overall take is let's not really build anything like mm. there's brilliant partners who we can work with in in each of those channels yeah. who are constantly trying to create a product that works for 20 retailers around the world you know and we should work with them so i think you know you could easily get caught up in trying to build a lot yourselves whereas i, th- I think the right model is to go and work with brilliant partners yeah. who are innovating and doing kind of great work for lots of retailers around the world so you can collectively grow and utilize that collective like learning and growth yeah and i think the more you can actually build it into cost of sale as a cost of the running the partnership that you have with suppliers the more the business is just accept it because it's part of the deal i found it funded a lot of that innovation so i remember we put 200 screens in the stores at one point at thomas we just built it into a partnership agreement that exactly. and we actually as a result we managed to sort of 10x what our partner was spending because yeah. they got sort of exclusive access or majority access on the screens yeah and actually but I mean, by that point we hadn't actually got approval from the business to put the screens in but because we built in the partnership it was suddenly all right okay and we got you know three million out of it then it was like you know right go and do it then you know the challenge was yeah. then pace the challenge was then trying to get it done as fast as possible in a business yeah. that moved very very slowly yeah exactly i think that's the key like you know digital signage where you need a lot of capex investment to put you sort of need to think about those different commercial model options with like revenue shares, profit shares and things like that to get you out the blocks and kind of scaling. Yeah. You know, I think it is, they're the right options to consider, right. To go through that growth curve. How much are audiences playing into what you're offering? Because obviously John Lewis and Waitrose have a very, and probably comes back to what you were talking about earlier about tapping into brand spend, but is they've also got very affluent audiences versus a mass market Tesco. Is that playing a lot? Is that, are you seeing, and do you get an incremental CPM as a result of the audience size? How's that playing in? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's our key positioning in the market, right? It's our position, which is our audience. And, you know, it's, it's the audience, but it's also the, you know, the context of what people feel and think when they're shopping through a waitress. So, you know, I think what, how does that show up with brands? It quite often comes down to when they're delivering new products. You know, when they're trying to establish their brand position, their anchor point in the market of their brand perception, so both quality perception and value perception. And you think about when you first see a product in a waitrose versus seeing it in a kind of mid or lower affluent retailer, your perception of that brand and how elevated that is. And, and you know, we know how important in marketing anchor points are of like how you establish that first kind of impression of your brand. And so I think where we play a role with a lot of brands, we work in the UK with Deliciously Ella quite exclusively on some of their ranges. So mm. the up and coming brands who are trying to establish themselves, I think it really helps. And we've done quite a lot of work with Heinz who have done a lot of innovation into pasta sauces. They've done a really cool partnership with Absolute Vodka to create a really kind of cool like pasta sauce. It, it's areas like that where we can really help a brand go on that journey to establish their brand position, as yeah. well as to your point more broadly, like almost all brands you know, we're talking about some of the biggest brands in the world. So it's about how do they kind of bring their brand to life in the right way. And they want to be in front of affluent customers. They're not typically the lower affluent customers are going to be more your private label customers, and they're not necessarily going to be shopping at Waitrose. So I think that's kind of definitely key for us. And then, Mm. you know, John Lewis, I would say even more so, you know, we're specialized in premium beauty. You know, we have a really good percentage of the market in premium beauty. And what they don't want is just kind of always on mechanics which can just kind of you know just do price and promotions for their brand they're trying to bring their brand to life 
like the rate of change in beauty is just incredible like the number of mpds you've got coming through each week and the expectation the market as customers go on this journey of the century of self and people wanting to look and feel good about themselves yeah and it is a great category where you've got such a high rate of mpd and how do you bring those new products to life how do you get them on the screen to the point earlier that's a really important area for us as well in terms of where you know you premium brands to life and we do a lot more than i've ever seen any other retailer of collaborative content so our christmas campaign for example and black friday it's our campaign but we'll work with brands on the creative process you know and so those moments to build inside, them in yeah exactly versus having always on mechanics where the brands can just kind of buy always on as kind of they against their brand plan we yep. do a lot more than I've ever seen in other retailers of really building those big campaigns together with these big brands. It's so impactful because you ultimately, they get this all a curated experience that consumers are getting in terms of, and that the suppliers are getting in terms of being part of your brand campaign. Plus commercially, you're already spending that spend generally, or this gives you an increased spend. But actually often it means that you can piggyback and actually you know end up a fair amount of profit out of it. I was going to say on that point, if you look at retail profit, right, it's, it's nosedived, right, the last 10, 15 years, pressure from digital pure plays, pressure from discounters. And part of the challenge on that is e-commerce. You know, e-commerce is expensive to do pick, pack and deliver, to yeah. do returns. You know, so there's a lot of costs that come in on the retailer side. And I think retail media starts to become one of those natural mechanics, which is, well, how does everyone pay their, the right way for their share to make sure this thing can sustain? You know, if it doesn't, these you know these things have to disappear at some point. The cash runs out, yes. and I think retail media it really just changes the whole economic model of retail and the whole operating model where you make less profit from selling the product to customer and more from your kind of ancillary services, data services, financial services. Yep. Retail media is one of those things. Yes, you know that's the key, right? And actually, we saw that at Thomas Cook as we grew that business. It ended up being about thirty percent of the profit, and actually, what happened is that it suddenly changed strategy. So suddenly it was, right, well, 30% is going to be on holiday sales, i.e. product sales. 30% is going to be on the ancillaries. So, you know, car hire, you know, insurance and all that stuff and financial services. And then the 30% is on media, you know, and suddenly, you know, having been there sort of, you know, a guerrilla team sort of, you know, just, you know, making fast growing profit and, you know, fast growing business and, you know, driving all of that, suddenly we became quite important. And we were doing that off 70 people out of, 20,000. So suddenly it becomes, you know, quite a thing. And suddenly it gets on everyone's radar. And then like, at that point, okay, there becomes more, a bit more pressure. But actually the doors open and people start going, right, how do we make more? How do we make our 30%? And, and that sort of thing. So I get that. It's an exciting turning point in the business when that happens, albeit it does whack a load of pressure on the thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of teams that have to rethink. I think. I've seen it in every retailer I've worked with the journey that e-commerce teams go on and, and e-commerce teams are typically starting from a place of being very focused on personalization. How do I get the range online and things like that? Right. So it's, it's kind of like organic personalization algorithms mm. rather than like sponsorship concepts within that. And I think the early days of this has been, you've, you've kind of got two silos of thinking. One is, is thinking about how do I organically create a personalization algorithm that just gives the best result for the customer from a relevancy point of view and then another team that's trying to sponsor and i think what we need to keep doing as an industry is bringing those two things together because actually you're still you know within the search let's just keep going with the coffee example what i'm not trying to do is put a pizza there 
you know, I'm trying to still respond to the customer with a coffee, but I'm trying to bring in the fact that a brand has got potentially a new brilliant brand. They've potentially got a new brilliant price. They've got some, something to put in there. And, and that actually is still really relevant to the customer and what they're asking. And I think we have to do a better job of those two things not sitting like separately to each other, but being part of like the same response within the technology. And, and I'm seeing more of that in some of the technology providers of how do you start to bring the organic result as well as the sponsorship and start to to blend the two a bit more together. Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting journey of just seeing it as part of how online works and how e-commerce works. And I think if you work in an e-commerce team somewhere in, in the world, you have to be thinking about how media and the funding works as part of that. Yeah, and it's interesting one because actually I've seen it where it's been blended and then I've seen it broken back out again and then I've seen it blended again. So actually there's almost this evolution of this, but that can only ever work really as well as that algorithm works in terms of, you know, is it actually, you know, is it selling more? Whereas the sponsored listing is always a bit just purer. It's being paid for, it's clear to the customer, it's badged, you know. To the brand as well. It's such a big change in the behaviours across everyone, the retailer, but also the brand, because as a brand, you go, brilliant, I can go on there, I can see my brand is there, that I've advertised it. Whereas if you start to blend it in, it's harder to just go and go, look, let me just take a screenshot of my brand and where I've paid for the advertising, I can see it from a compliance point of view. When things are yeah. hidden in the algorithms and the data, yeah, it becomes a bit harder to prove all those things. So we have to yeah. kind of work harder as an industry to say, you know, how do we go on this journey together? Yeah, it'd be really interesting that evolves. You'd mentioned some great brands there with Ella and, and Heinz. Give an example of a brand that's really embracing this because it's always nice to see the ones that are thinking creatively and thinking, right, I'm not just going to do a sponsored listing. I'd like, like to really come here and get some brand experience stuff. Tell me, is there any examples you can tell us of? So I mentioned a couple in grocery, more in the kind of lower ones, but I would say in grocery, it's kind of easier because typically, you know, in grocery, retail media has been evolving now for the last five, 10 years. So most of the big suppliers, so like Unilever, always a you know great partner. For an example, you know, P&G, the big players for us from a branded point of view, who work extensively across on-site, off-site store and things like that. So that's kind of been, you know, a journey which is similar to kind of the other retailers. I think in non-food, it's a bit more of a journey where you haven't had the kind of classic retail media and ways of working in areas like premium beauty and fashion. It just hasn't been as kind of big a thing versus actually where we work with people like Samsung already who are hot, like really mature in terms of what they want to do with data and insights also in terms of how they want to activate their brand and, and they work extensively with us across the store through to digital and, and their teams kind of really want to embrace kind of going on that innovation and learning learning journey together right yeah, i think in non-food i do think it's a big journey that both you know the brands and the retailer has to go on together where it hasn't got so much structure as grocery and that that's you know challenging part of what i'm interested in kind of like learning and trying to figure out is that tussle of changing the way the kind of trading agreements are done between like some of those categories mm. but i think when you look at people like samsung as some of the great case studies we've got kind of brilliant examples of work of bringing brands to life across our full estates yeah and it's your i mean i find off there's a clash between what wanted for the media team and the brand wanting to do something exciting say online and then the quality of the cms system have you found any of uh, any of that stuff and how are you getting around that if you are yeah, so I mean, we, you're probably the same. Everyone you work with started from a place of loading content in a CMS. You're essentially putting content, you know, which is a banner, but loading it as kind of web content. So you haven't got any of the ad tech that you would want in terms of being able to target, being able to measure. Yeah. And so that's where we were. But in the last year, we've been going on a journey 
with Citrus Ad and starting to introduce some of their tech in terms of sponsored products, sponsored search within Waitrose and now kind of evolving into what we're doing on John Lewis. So I think finding that balance, we are still, you know, a bit of both. But I think my view is that you, you want to switch over to using ad tech as much as possible. Is that serving landing pages though, or is it microsites and things? I mean, because obviously ad serving is ad serving, but yeah, exactly. Not yeah. I think we have to think about, and I think that's where I think you won't necessarily have one partner that can do everything in on site because I think you've got yeah. people who specialize much more in that listing type concept of sponsor products, sponsor search, which is is kind of citrus and potatoes and people like that who have kind of grown up that way versus richer content. I think especially there's a lot of providers now um, when you think about how much percentage of sales are going through product pages and you know really nice stuff in terms of TikTok videos and things like that that you can start building much more immersive much richer content mm. into those pages and I think that you're therefore getting different tech providers who are you know trying to figure that problem out mm. so I think you know on site you obviously have to decide what to do in what order but I think the reality is over time you probably need to work with you know a handful of tech providers who specialize in the different types of content across the journey. I think you can probably do a lot of your homepage content as via your CMS. And, you know, CMS is quite intelligent as well these days, right? You can kind of circulate different types of content through it because on a homepage, we still want to protect our brand. Like how does our brand show up? It's not so much about adding to basket necessarily. So a lot of it is how does the John Lewis brand show up to customers on that homepage experience and the Waitrose brand. So, you know, I think we would have less variations of content necessarily on that page anyway. Let's talk about um, data and insight, because obviously that's your heartland. You know, how are you using data as a partnership model? You know, are you using those algorithms? How deep is it at the moment? You know, so you talked about the club card data. How much are you using that at the moment? Yeah, not as much as I'd like, but we're going on a journey for sure. I yeah. mean, what, so we call... So JLP, Journalist Partnership Insights and Media, that's what we've, I guess, called our the team within the organization and giving ourselves an identity both to articulate what it is internally, but also externally. So, you know, we're working on that, but we've consciously called it Insights and Media because I believe that you should really be providing a fairly full suite of marketing services and insights is a really important part of that. So the first part of data and, and insights is how do we help suppliers to understand their customers? So how do they understand what types of customers are buying their brand what types of customers are lapsing from their brand how are they changing over time and and not that core kind of just customer insight are you charging for that or is that sort of a service we've done a partnership with dunhamby actually so they've got a you know a global product that they have that we're white labeling and, and taking to market this year so that you know i think relatively speaking the questions you want to ask there's a few providers around the world who have created these solutions that help you ask answer questions about your customers of what types of customers are buying it and so yeah in that model, there is a license fee per year for the suppliers to essentially access that insight, understand their customers. So I think that helps you then make better decisions across the retail you know, journey. So it's, it's not just about media, but media becomes one of those areas where you say, okay, now I understand that I've got, you know, I'm winning with this group of customers and, you know, they're spending a lot of money, whereas I'm actually, let's take men's, you know, you and I, men's fashion. So, you know, I'm buying a Ted Baker shirt, but I also bought a Reese shirt and I've also bought to my label and, and seeing how customers are repertoire shopping across categories as well and understanding that. So the marketeers can then go, how am I going to market differently? And I think we've not had that base kind of understanding of customer to then feed into how do people then build their plan. So that's the mm. kind of first part of the journey is to, to ensure that we have, you know, a relatively democratized understanding of what customer behavior is. And then in audiences, I think on site, 
I still think is a bit of a journey in terms of how you truly use your first party data. I think you're typically using keywords and what the page is and what that's trying to achieve versus truly putting in an audience. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it gets overrated a little bit in terms of the need to have loyalty card data for your on-site media. You can use it for certain banners, but I would say, you know, if you take Amazon and make, you know, 80% of their money from sponsored per- search and sponsored products, it's a bit different because they're a marketplace. Yeah. But those solutions are not typically looking at you as a customer. They're looking at the search term that someone's used. So yeah. where do you truly, where can you use your first party data? It's typically in loyalty and CRM where you can be very targeted. And then when it comes to offsite, so what you do outside your ecosystem, because in those two channels, the data is everything. You know, and mm-hmm. I think for us, we're not as mature as I'd like us to be in those two channels. So we want to, and we are investing into putting more into our loyalty program for the next year. So building out a kind of broader pan partnership loyalty scheme that launches next year. And so that we have more mechanics that we can use as retail media talk to customers but it also then enhances the swipe rates so that you know building up that first party data graph so that we can use it across those channels so. and how are you finding the inventory challenge do you have a challenge there in terms of having enough inventory certainly when you get maybe those smaller searches and but a volume of advertisers are you having challenges around inventory or are you generally i think we're still learning about inventory management i think we're we're still you know to run a retail media organization, you really ideally would have a kind of booking planning tool that then allows you to run insights over the top of it to, to understand your sell-through rates, your inventory management, and things like that. So we, we're running a lot of that through Google at the moment, but going through a kind of journey to change that. So I think we don't know as well as we would like to on in real time. Like we kind of retrospectively know. Mm-hmm. So we are selling out in some of our physical channels because you have that kind of finite, you know, in our magazine, you only have so many pages that are advertorials. So there yeah. are channels like, selling out and we are you know, reaching capacity whereas on site you know there's still a huge amount of inventory that we've got in terms of search terms so then it's how do you unlock the insight to understand what isn't being sold out you yeah. know in terms of understanding that tail of um, search terms and then giving that information to suppliers so they can understand how customers are searching and how can they bid and build a wallet around those things so i think a bit of a mix but we definitely have recognized the fact that we don't have a good enough understanding on our inventory management and sell-through rate and how we kind of understand our business. I think if you're any you retail around the world, if you can't see it, you can't fix it. You know, if you can't truly yeah. see your business and how it's working, what's working, what's selling, what's not selling, how much by category, by supplier, you know, et cetera, it's really hard to then ensure Optimize that you have a data strategy exactly. Brilliant. And then so that also leads then on to sort of the long tail. You know, obviously you've got your big partners. Are you able to monetize the long tail or is that creating a resource crunch? You know, yeah. or is there a self-serve ability? How are you dealing with that piece? Yeah, it's a great question because I think our price points, you know, when you're doing tenancy type media, whether it's physical or digital, it tends to be, it prices out a lot of the small suppliers, you know, in terms of, you know, what you're offering because you're basically doing a takeover and it ends up being quite a big reach. And so actually the brilliant thing about bringing someone like Citrus on is that you can then start to at least have some offerings and also personalized offers are great for that because they're simpler in terms of content and creative. The brand hasn't got a huge amount and they can go to much smaller volumes of customers. You know, a niche brand, it might be that, you know, it's 10,000 customers who it's relevant for, which is hard to create a mechanic for. Whereas personalized offers and sponsored product type offerings are brilliant for that. So that's kind of how we're tackling the long tail. And then, you know, that's making sure we've got the inventory. And then secondly, how do we talk to them all and let them know we've got those things? A lot of those small suppliers don't have huge amounts of resource 
you might have the same person who's doing the trading agreement, doing the marketing agreement. You know, a lot of small suppliers where they're run kind of in a you know a very small team, they mm. don't necessarily have the number of people or the expertise. So that part of our journey is how do we educate and make it simple for them to invest across the year yes. you know, with building their wallet, but then that wallet can spend across the year rather than them needing to look at each week and optimize it like you would if you're a big brand. So then that plays into self-serve portals and I think that's how you unlock the tail, right? I think you think about how many people you would need to have if you had to account manage every single, you know, we've got thousands of suppliers, you know, it just, yeah. it wouldn't make sense. And you'd end up constantly going, let's just focus on the top 80, 90% of the spend. And you yeah. just constantly do that as your strategy. Whereas I think once you've got the self-serve mechanics and you can kind of make it easy to do that, you can start to unlock a lot of that and create more variety for customers, which is important as well. Otherwise yeah. you've only ever got the big brands showing up. So. Yeah. I mean, the way we do it for our clients is we, there's that commercialization piece so how do you package and price it to the point where it's affordable for those smaller suppliers then there's the tech piece is how do you actually automate most of that ad creation sign off trafficking optimization then reporting and evidencing and then getting that back to the contact that's in touch with that supplier and back to the supplier directly and you know getting where it works enough that you create this loop you know and, and then also the inventory challenge is you know not all of the you know you suddenly start putting 5,000 suppliers on the site that we had and we do now for some of our clients who certainly in the hundreds is you know that the inventory runs out you know or you haven't got enough or you haven't got enough to go around everybody so that's where we start building in other things in order that in order that you know you can maximize volume of supplier and revenue but at the same time you've got this you know so I've completely forgotten I've lost my thread what you're saying completely makes sense and I think that's true for our big search terms, you know, if you think about some of the categories where you've got high competition from a big, you know, where dishwasher tablets and things like that, where you do end up having that challenge of how do you think creatively? Otherwise, the customer is going to just see the same thing. And then, yeah, I actually think I like about the kind of new models of being more cost per click is that you're also incentivizing um, the right thing for what customers are going to do. So, what does a customer want to do when they see something? They want to interact with it. They want to add to basket. Yeah. If they don't, then it's not relevant. So I, yes. I quite like that we're we're naturally optimizing it for the right thing for customers when yeah. you charge kind of based on does a customer interact with it. Yeah. I think that's what I was gonna say was is that naturally supplier will tend to gravitate towards the sponsored listing just because it tends to perform the best at the expense of everything else. And actually if yeah. you're trying to maximize the volume of what you're getting from a long tail of suppliers and you know, while servicing the fat tail or, or the big ones is you've got to really be careful because otherwise all the, they'll stop buying anything else and just buy the sponsored listing. So there are ways of navigating that commercially. So, I mean, we're nearly out of time and, I just, you know, it's been fascinating. I think I could talk to you all day. In fact, we need to go and do lunch at some point. But I think, you know, tell me about, as we end, you know, obviously the challenges of being in a multi-channel retailer, you know, we've talked about those. What sort of three things would you advise somebody who is trying to set up? What do you need to could get right what do you need to think about what are the hurdles that you need to know are coming yeah definitely i think that's a great question because i think there's no one size fits all you know i think almost all organizations and you've worked in travel and retail media it's not retail but it's the same concepts right so it's i think the first thing to make sure you, you know almost all of those organizations have an opportunity and they should be doing something but they don't necessarily do it in the same way in the same order mm. and i think the key things to think about in that are you know, in retail, how much own label do you sell versus branded goods? That's really important. Like if you're not a big branded retailer, then you're probably going to have a very different type of offering, if any offering at all for, for brands. 
you know, I think the other you know, area is how much data have you got and, you know, what are the right mechanics if you've got a huge amount of data versus you haven't got much data. You can start with very limited amount of data and you can create plenty of propositions. So I think how much creative freedom are you going to give to brands in your experience? So I think like helping with someone who's an expert at retail media, don't work with someone who hasn't. I think it's still a niche field where you need to work with people who have genuinely done this before. I think management consultants and people like that have a place in organizations where you're really trying to think through a problem. This is a problem that some people have solved. And I think you need to go and work with a true expert who can map out the right strategy and plan for you and what's the right retail media strategy for your organization. Um, Because it it will be an opportunity, but it won't necessarily be the same as what someone down the road is doing. So I think doing the right thing for your brand is is probably the most important place to start. And hiring either an expert, hire them into your business or work with a great you know, a great partner agency who can support you on that journey. I want to say thank you very much, Tom. We are that partner agency. You know, look, thank you so much for taking time. Sadly, we're out of time, but it would be, as I said, we'd talk to you all day. But look, hopefully you can come back and we can talk to you again, you know, and see how that journey is evolving and, and what's next in the John Lewis and Waitrose journey. Definitely. It'd be lovely if you can. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. It's great to have the conversation. I think it's, uh, you know, something that's going to keep it evolving over the next couple of years so it's good to keep kind of talking through you know the learnings we've all had what's worked what hasn't worked so we can kind of keep evolving the industry together i think the retail media moguls podcast is brought to you by platform 195 to learn more about platform 195 and how to connect retail media with intelligent marketing to accelerate growth visit platform 195.com And then make sure to search for Retail Media Moguls in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at Platform 195, thanks for listening.